0: Listener production. Hey, Ben Sion here with you for The Briefing. Do you remember when Facebook was good? When your news feed didn't seem like a weird pile of trash? And how do you feel about other social platforms, Instagram, TikTok or Telegram or Discord, any of these? Are they as good as they used to be? And if they're becoming increasingly shit, Why? What is this process that seems to be happening with these platforms? Well, Corey Doctroy has a compelling theory. The Canadian-British blogger, journalist and science fiction author coined the term inchidification of online platforms and he's here to explain to us just how and why it happens. So, Corey, thanks so much for joining us. Explain this cycle of enshittification. Why do social platforms start out quite good and then inevitably become shit
1: over time. I think the most important thing is why they're all going through this pattern now. There was sort of 20 years in which, you know, sometimes technology lost the way, but it it quickly sank and was replaced by other companies. And now we have this very strange thing where there are terrible platforms that just don't seem to be going anywhere, that we're all stuck to them. And the pattern that they go through is, is, first, they're good to us. They give us something that we value. Like Facebook, when it kicked off, said, you know, I know everybody's using MySpace, but there's this evil, senescent uh, Australian billionaire named Rupert Murdoch who owns MySpace, and he spies on you. And here at Facebook, we're never ever going to spy on you. All you need to do is tell us, you know, who matters to you by like friending people, and we'll just show you the stuff that they post that they want their friends to see. And then after a certain time, when the users were locked into Facebook, they took away some of that value they'd given to the users, and they gave it to business customers who pay. So they went to the advertisers and said, you know, we're spying on these in ways that would make you for an old Rupert blush. And publishers, they said, you know, if, if you just put excerpts of your content up, no one's asked to see it, but we'll still like cram it into their eyeballs and give you a full a free traffic <sighs> funnel. And then at a certain point, you know, those users are all locked in, those business customers, the publishers and the advertisers become dependent on the users who are locked in because everyone's there. And once everyone's there, it's really hard to leave. And then they just start, sucking the value out of the system and giving it to their shareholders. And so, you know, the advertisements get more expensive to place. Their targeting gets worse. Publishers have to put more and more of their content. You know, a little excerpt from an article doesn't cut it. You have to put the whole article up. And sometimes you put a link to your article, it gets suppressed because the link might be malicious. Um, For users, the quantum of material that you ask to see from the friends you follow kind of dwindles to this, like, homeopathic residue. And what what gets uh, shoved into that void is stuff that people are willing to pay to show you. And at that point, you're in this very brittle equilibrium where, you know, Facebook's trying to tighter down the dose of value that everybody else gets from their platform to the bare minimum to keep everyone there, but then give everything else to their own shareholders. And that's when the whole thing turns into a pile of shit. And the platforms, they have this term for what they do next. They call it pivoting. If it were anyone else, we just call it panicking.
0: So these platforms bring users in by being a really quality product at the start. Then they bring advertisers and businesses in, and then they start benefiting the shareholders instead of those two groups of people. Yeah. What stage in the cycle is Instagram and TikTok right now?
1: Well, they're probably at different stages. They're both pretty bad. They're in what I would call the prolonged senescence right prolonging the period after the platform should really be dead and leaving people stuck on the platform as it decays it's not good and both of these platforms instagram especially but tiktok is heading into it are in this period of prolonged senescence they're in slow decline but because they can stop people from making tools that make it easy to quit The project, right, you know, um, an alternative uh, client, say, for Instagram that lets you follow your Instagram friends after you leave Instagram. So you can see their messages, but you can go somewhere else, you know, Mastodon or Blue Sky or any of these other services so that, you know, you don't have to choose between your friends and the service and, and, you know, a better service where they treat you better. The fact that there's no way to evacuate this area that's like on fire all the time means that people are still living in the danger zone. And the danger is just going to get worse because these fire zones, these long past their sell-by date, decaying, dangerous sites aren't going to get fixed. They're just going to get worse. So we seem to be
0: stuck in these social media platforms in a toxic relationship
1: with them. What can and should we do about that? Well, we need to restore constraint. We need to bring back competition law. You've had uh, some pretty good successes with that in Australia. You know, when Rod Sims was running your competition, we did some pretty muscular stuff. And, you know, that's true in Canada and the United States and Europe and China. There, there's a lot of reinvigorated interest in antitrust. We need to find regulation that's hard to capture. The European Union is doing some of that. They're, they're moving a lot of the regulatory enforcement out of the national courts, like in Ireland, which is a tax haven that's super deferential. To the tech giants that pretend to be headquartered there, and into the federal courts, we need to restore the right to interoperate. We need to restore the right to allow Australian tinkerers, hackers, engineers, entrepreneurs to say, "All right, HP wants to sell Australians ten thousand dollars a gallon ink. We're going to here in Australia make ink that's a hundred dollars a gallon, and we're going to reverse engineer those those chips." so that you can stick the cartridge in an HP's printer and won't be able to tell the difference. And we need to unionize the workforce because the limits on individual power as a tech worker have become very obvious today. That's what's going to make it possible for workers to once again assert their feeling that it's not right to harm the users that they develop these products to help.
0: So you're not only an expert on tech, you've got a new book coming out. It's called The Bezel. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, it's actually out. And as we record this today, it's a national bestseller in the United States. My third national bestseller in six months.
0: Uh, Congratulations! I wrote a lot of
1: books during lockdown. The Bezel is uh, a companion volume to a novel I did last year called Red Team Blues, which is about this hard-charging high-tech forensic accountant who specializes in unwinding high-tech scams. And they're like cracking adventure stories that are ways to understand these otherwise very boring, very detailed, Baroque, uh, financial shenanigans. It's kind of my version of when they stuck Margot Robbie in a bathtub and had her explain how collateralized debt obligations work. Except I do it (laughs) by having these really intense crime thrillers, uh, with this lovable scamp of a, of a high tech forensic accountant. It's tangentially connected to this bizarre, um, Uh, hamburger-themed Ponzi scheme on an island off the coast of California called Catalina Island. And all this stuff in it is either real or mostly real. But it's bound up in this, you know, sort of fun story, this revenge story, as it turns out to be, where uh, in the end there's some really delicious comeuppances. That was Corey
0: Doctro and his new book is The Bezel. That's it for The Briefing this Friday afternoon and we're always keen to hear your feedback and story ideas. If only to prove how stuck we are all on these social sites, the best way to contact us is by sending us a DM on Instagram at The Briefing Podcast. And check your feeds tomorrow because Antoinette Latouf is back for The Weekend Briefing. Antoinette, what do you have for us? On the weekend briefing, I chat to the fascinating, super talented Rowie Singh. She's a beauty influencer and not in the way you may quickly assume. Her makeup tutorials are these avant-garde, Indian-inspired works of art. She talks about how beauty influencers have reshaped the makeup industry, but also how it's allowed her to become an artist in a pretty untraditional way. She's clever, she's cool, she's all about inclusivity and expression and it is an absolute must-listen. Don't miss that one. And Tom Tilly will be back in your feed on Sunday speaking with the boys from the band Royal Otis. I'm Ben Siebert and from all of us here at The Briefing, have a great weekend.
1: listener.